Low ratings, scheduling conflicts, inflated budgets, and behind-the-scenes drama. Maybe the show was ahead of its time, or maybe it just plain sucked. Whatever the reason, sometimes a TV series gets only one season before it gets the axe. Here to talk about it, he is Stan Spencer, I am Greg Musselman, and this is Single Season Showcase. And I just whacked the thing that my microphone was on, causing an obnoxious noise. And here's our theme music. (laughs) The theme music, not the obnoxious noise. just can't catch a break on that fucking intro how are you stan oh i'm good and how are you today oh same as always Hmm. tired yeah it's just kind of how i feel now that's adulthood man don't remind me at least most people have kids to justify their exhaustion no thank you (laughs) i'm just irresponsible (laughs) let's just throw it out there yeah totally fair so let's once again apologize to our audience because this is another dud again yeah it's there there isn't any i mean they're they're watchable they're just there's no substance not after ashes i tell you yeah this is an especially forgettable episode in that it's not even like super terrible in a fun way that we can mock relentlessly like we have some previous bad episodes. Mm-hmm. This one's just kind of there. It's 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 there. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Eh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is episode nine, Lovers. It was also the ninth episode to air. I think just basically from here on out, they actually do air in the correct order. But also from here to the end of the series, With the exception of the actual last episode, they could go in pretty much any order. Mm -hmm. They're completely unrelated to each other. The little hint of actual kind of serialization, any actual continuity involved with a reveal of Ash being Ashura Bakhtu, a priest from prehistory, whatever, worshiping a snake goddess. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Since that reveal, which has to go in the particular place that we put it, everything after that, with the exception of the last episode, they're interchangeable. We got that one little taste of continuity that is not going to come back until, spoiler alert, the last episode, and then then we're done. So, so yeah. But this episode was written by Chris Bertolet, or possibly Bertolet, (laughs) Bertolet. Um, I I really hope it's Bertolet. I'm pretty sure it's Bertolet, but it could, in theory, be Bertolet, <laughs> which would be awful. Bertolet, <laughs> Bertolet, Bertolet. All of that sounds wrong. Like really, uh, yeah. no, no permutation of that sounds correct. No, no. And it was directed by John T. Kretschmer. And it aired 
on the 8th of January in 1999. So this is our first episode of 1999. Looks like they took a couple of weeks off for the holidays and are just coming back. And we can probably get right into it and get this over with. Yeah, I don't. I mean, gosh, we're just at a loss for uh, fuel for the comedic fire for this episode. So all of the 10% extra funny that you got in previous episodes is no longer here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a shame because at least the previous bad episodes were bad in a way that, you know, we we could mock it a little bit more. And this one is bad in just a boring way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though there are some truly ridiculous things in it that are super dumb. Yeah, it's kind of like a... (laughs) <laughs> telenovela written by R.L. Stein. <laughs> so odd. Yeah. So we start with just Zeke's having a, a crummy day. He wakes up and there's this like soulful rendition of nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Mm-hmm. Zeke is walking around town, taking the bus around town, sitting at diners around town. And everywhere he looks, there seem to be lovers, people kissing, holding hands, families together. Zeke's just feeling all sorts of lonely while this sad song plays in the background. (laughs) And then he goes to the beach. I mean, not like on the beach, like in the sand, but like on the street right next to the beach where you can see the sand and water and past him whooshes by this rollerblading girl (laughs) in like thigh high socks and booty shorts (laughs) and a bare midriff and you know he watches her go past and then he looks up at this mural that's painted on the side of a building and it looks exactly like the girl that just went past him this has nothing to do with anything by the way this is completely unimportant to the episode it's just a thing that happens like, this is fucking Xanadu. <laughs> At, is that the movie that that happened yes. in? Where, like, the girl looks exactly like the mural? Yeah, yeah okay. Olivia, Olivia Neutron Bomb. <laughs> Olivia Neutron Bomb. <laughs> you asshole. Why would you, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> yes, but just like in Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he looks up and, and the mural looks exactly like the girl that just went past him. But again, completely pointless. This does not mean anything except that this inspires Zeke to apparently buy a pair of rollerblades. And so there he is rollerblading next to the beach in his like six layers and his, you know, three quarter length coat and almost falling on his face every couple of seconds. And it just looks completely ridiculous. Like It's very unfortunate because even in the 90s, as a teenager, when I was watching this and thinking that this show and, and Zeke Stone were the coolest fucking thing ever when I'm like 16, 17. And this image of Zeke on rollerblades, it, it just ruins <laughs> everything. Makes him less brooding. It, oh, yeah. It it totally deflates 
the serious nature that we've been cultivating for this character, like the dark aspect, the brooding aspect, it's all undercut by this one image of him flailing about on rollerblades in the bright sun on a fucking boardwalk or whatever. And it's it's bad. It, it goes against the entire tone of the show, which, you know, maybe you want it undercut at this point, because I guess it hasn't really been working the way it's supposed to. It's not as brooding and badass as it thinks it is or wants to be. So maybe this is a way to go. But for for me, it does not work. Yeah, it just went on too long. Its only purpose was to have him run into the devil. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's the other thing. It, it goes on for a bit. But then he crashes into what appears, at least for a moment, to be an old guy with a walker and turns out to be the devil John Glover dressed like an old guy with a walker and dressed like an old guy just in the kind of clothes that you would expect an old man to wear. And he's got like an old guy hat, but he's not like an old age makeup or, you know, with gray hair or anything. He's just it's just the clothes. Zeke tries to talk the devil into, you know, enjoying a beautiful day for a change. Why don't you uh, why don't you enjoy the, the sun and the beach? And the devil is like, yeah, the sun will give you melanoma. And that ocean water is full of tainted hypodermic needles and used condoms. And Zeke says, well, look at these people on the beach. Like, look at this kid. Isn't that innocent and precious? And the devil's like, oh, yeah, he'll belong to me as soon as he hits puberty. <laughs> and this I don't get like why I, I first don't understand why Zeke has the impulse to try to talk the devil into lightening enjoying <laughs> yeah like like why don't you lighten up and and enjoy the day and the beach and the world like I don't understand why he's doing that in the first place and secondly I don't understand why he doesn't fucking know better than to try to do that <laughs> Yeah, they seem to have a lot of back and forth in this episode. You know, it's just like Zeke trying to get him to just mellow out and the devil just being like, well, I'm just going to be more of a dick. <laughs> yeah, there there seems to be more of like a a weird palsy buddy buddy thing going on and just kind of like more goofing on each other and shit than I think we've seen previously and not in a good way. So then Zeke has this conversation with the devil. It doesn't really go anywhere. Nothing really happens. Zeke rollerblades away and the devil takes his walker and pushes it along after Zeke. And you don't see what happens, but you hear you hear a crash bang boom. So presumably the walker hit or tripped Zeke and haha, funny. The devil did a thing. Hmm. And then we get our opening credit sequence, which by now you are used to and we don't really need to talk about. So then what happens? So then we are back on said boardwalk with all the fleshy bodies and tiny one piece <laughs> leotards. Everyone's still rollerblading and smiling. Yeah, there was a lot of this feels much more like an L.A. episode than some previous stuff we've gotten like this. They're really I don't know if taking advantage of is the right word, but they're really getting into the let's do some L.A. stuff. Yeah, agreed. 
we get this young guy talking to a priest. The priest I recognized immediately as that guy character actor who's in a bunch of stuff. I know I end up saying that a lot. But it's really true, though, when you do point it out. <laughs> like, they're so, like, ubiquitous. It's like, I know, like, who you are, but don't ask me your name. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think the guy's ever had a big role, but he's had a lot of roles. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, gosh. Kevin Cooney. Yeah. Austin Powers, Legally Blonde, random character in Independence Day. Yeah, I feel like he's he's a guy who plays a lot of like high ranking military guys. Like, I feel like I see him in uniform a lot as, you know, a general or an admiral. And then you see him a lot as a congressman or a senator or a president who may or may not be really shady. Or apparently a POW in an episode of Medium. <laughs> yeah. He... You have to forgive me. I think Medium is the most hilarious show in the entire world. <laughs> I believe it. This guy's kind of like, uh, he's, He's dollar store Ronnie Cox mm. is how I feel about him. Mm. That's because fair. he looks a lot like Ronnie Cox. He plays the kinds of roles you expect Ronnie Cox to play. And he's just not. He's less sinister. He's more. Mm. He's he's like a softer, friendlier version of Ronnie Cox. And if you don't know who Ronnie Cox was, then you haven't watched Robocop enough. <laughs> anyway, so this young guy. Paco Gomez is talking to this priest about this girl that he's just so in love with and she's perfect. And he says that she is as beautiful or more beautiful than the Madonna, which I think is a weird thing to say. Like they, they really play up the fact that this guy's Catholic. Like, I mean, he's introduced meeting with a priest. The fact that he wears a cross around his neck is a plot point later on. Like multiple mentions have been made of his Catholicism. Super, yeah, super like Spanish Catholic. Yeah. I mean, and his name so, is Paco Gomez. Yeah. But I, I just think it's a weird thing when you're trying to get across like, oh, yes, this girl is very, very beautiful. That your point of comparison is Mary the mother of Jesus? Like, was was she known for being a beauty? I don't really recall that much. Mm -hmm. At least not being brought up much. Like, I don't. Yeah, it's it's you're correct. It is very, very odd that that's how he sort of references it. But then it's I feel like it's like a weird. uh because when you meet his mother, like, you're just kind of like, oh, you know, religious household, I guess. Like, I guess it's just meant to exacerbate the fervor upon which he yearns for this woman, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's a way to to further play up the Catholicism angle, which they're going to beat into the ground a lot in the episode. And also, it's just to set up this really terrible joke slash hint to the audience. Because Paco says that his girl is as beautiful as the Madonna. And the priest says, well, no one is as beautiful as the Madonna. 
unless you're talking about Madonna, the pop star. So get it. Ha ha. Yeah. Everybody laugh. <laughs> the priest digs Madonna, the singer. Ha ha ha. That's funny. But also it's a chance to have Paco look confused and be like, who is that? I don't know what you're talking about as a right off the bat way to go. OK, so this guy has been dead for a while and is this week's escapee from hell because it's it's the late 90s and he doesn't know who Madonna is. Mm-hmm. Ha ha ha. Laugh. But that's a pointless little reveal like the audience does not need that hint because right away right after that exchange this older guy walks by sees Paco and basically right away loses his mind like oh my god it can't be you you're dead you died a long time ago I'm going to run away in terror which he does and then Paco chases him down and this guy I also recognized immediately because this is the guy that the usual suspects in the movie, the usual suspects are out to kill at the end because he's the one guy who can identify Kaiser Soze. Mm. He's, he's the guy being hidden on the boat. Wow. That they all storm call. at the end. You you know that movie, the usual suspects that that classic movie starring Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> That classic Christopher Plummer movie, <laughs> The Usual Suspects. That is a fantastic movie. Yeah, but I didn't even catch that. Yeah, I immediately recognized him because as soon as I saw like that nose, I just pictured him in the dark on the boat. I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Sosa. <laughs> so Paco runs this guy down to this alley where some random bystander is doing some graffiti. And Paco grabs this guy and is like, hey, you owe me money. The guy's like, it's been like 35 years. Leave me alone. I don't have your money. You freaking ghost or whatever. (laughs) And for some reason, the random guy doing graffiti in the alley decides he's going to jump in and help. I mean, I guess, you know. All right. You know, just because you're doing graffiti in an alley doesn't make you a bad person. (laughs) Like like be be a good Samaritan and and help a guy out who's being attacked by somebody seemingly half his age. The old guy escapes Paco's grasp because the graffiti artist is stepping in and then Paco puts his hand on the graffiti guy's chest and there's some sizzling and smoking because Paco has Bernie Bernie hell powers. I don't know if this is like a fire starty Gwen kind of thing, or if this is more of a acid sweat Father Salinas kind of thing. But he puts his hand on the guy's chest and it starts smoking and burning and Paco's eyes flash red and it shows the old guy who owes Paco money watching from around the corner. So he witnesses this and we cut away from the scene before anything truly interesting happens. I mean, more interesting than graffiti and heart explody, but you get the you get the idea. Yeah. And for some reason, Zeke is perusing a used car lot. Just because. And lo and behold, the devil John Glover just happens to be working there. 
I can't recall if during the rollerblade scene that went on way too long, if he makes a comment about how difficult it is to get around. He may have. I don't remember specifically him doing that, but he definitely talks a lot about it in this scene. Mm -hmm. He's complaining because, you know, in New York, it's kind of a cliche that most people in New York don't bother having cars because parking is a nightmare, like driving is a nightmare, and there's so much public transportation that actually seems to work better than most other places. You can take the subway anywhere you need to go. There are plenty of cabs and, you know, there are buses and you can pretty much get by without a car in New York City. And most people do. L.A., on the other hand, is the exact opposite in that respect. Like everybody has a car in L.A. You don't walk anywhere in L.A. That's stupid. Or at least that is the cliche, regardless of how true that actually is in practice. You know, well. That's debatable. But generally speaking, people think of New Yorkers either walk everywhere or take public transportation because New York is just laid out as a fucking grid and is pretty easy to navigate relative to other cities. And public transportation is good relative to other cities. And then L.A. is the exact opposite. It's sprawling. It's confusing. And everybody drives everywhere and nobody walks anywhere. And the public transportation is garbage. Am I wrong? Um, the, eh. It's like it's just overcrowded. Like everything is just overcrowded. But in terms of, yes, the reliability of transportation. Yeah, like pretty much everyone just takes the train. So anyway, Zeke is complaining about that, that in New York, it was easy to get by without a car. In L.A., it's a pain in the ass. The devil gives him shit of like, oh, you should have died with more money in your pocket than the. <laughs> what is it? Thirty six dollars and twenty seven cents. Yes. Because. Ezekiel 3627. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the devil says, oh, we've got a car that is right up your alley and in your price range. And he pulls the tarp off of this old convertible that looks like it's barely being held together by its own rust. And there's a, a big price sticker in the window that happens to say exactly thirty six dollars and twenty seven cents. <laughs> So Zeke buys this car from the devil, which is silly because it's like, okay, the devil doesn't actually work there. You shouldn't have to actually pay him for a car that he clearly planted there. Like, it's just it's all very silly and stupid. The whole car subplot is really dumb. Mm -hmm. But Zeke gets this car from the devil, gives the devil all the money he has in the world, which is thirty six dollars and twenty seven cents, which is fine because it'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> and the devil being a nice guy gives him one dollar back and says here gas money and then gives him the the 27 cents back and he's like here to pay for parking <laughs> yeah now is it is this not the make and model of his car when he was alive you know it might be uh, I, I don't remember. Because I know they drove some sort of convertible, but that's like when I saw yeah, it, he, I was like, huh. He definitely had some sort of convertible in the flashbacks where we saw him live. Whether it was the same make and or model and or color, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me. Hmm. Mainly because I doubt they wanted to pay for another car to use. <laughs> right. When they could just like, let's reuse this car we already have or already rented or whatever. 
yeah, it, I mean, it's inconsequential and it, it never comes up. It's certainly not important. The car will certainly never be seen or mentioned again after this episode. Yeah. Paco, like something that they want to establish early about Paco is that he grew up poor, but right next to the rich people. Like he's from a crappy neighborhood that is adjacent to an affluent neighborhood. And he harbors a simultaneous resentment of the rich and aspiration to join them. And that's a, a thing that continues throughout his episode. It's a thing that's reinforced about his character over and over again to the point it becomes irrational and ridiculous. You'll see what I mean, especially if you actually watch this piece of crap. <laughs> But he shows up at a jewelry store where the door is closed and locked and he knocks on the door to get the salesperson's attention. Who's in the shop? I don't know. Closing up, doing something. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that whole shot is really weird because the man almost seems to be like admiring his hoard of jewels. <laughs> like, it's just it's really, really strange. Like, I don't I don't know if he's examining a particular piece or if he's like setting up some kind of display. He's the guy's doing something. So Paco knocks knocks on the door. And when the guy turns to look at him, Paco waves a handful of money. Like he just has bills fanned out in his hand to like press up against the window and wave the guy over and he's like hey look i want to buy something i've got fucking money and the guy ignores him and goes back to whatever it was he was doing paco gets pissed and smashes the door in and is like what my money's not green enough for you and then proceeds to rob the place and to which i would also respond no no it isn't because i'm not sure what this currency is that he's using <laughs> Yeah, the, the money does look pretty fake. I don't think it's meant to be fake. I think it's just a bad prop. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, honestly, I would expect the money looks as though it's foreign currency. That was the only thing like to me, like when he first holds it up, I'm like, what is that? Is that like a peso or a euro? It's, it's something like really, really not green. <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's just poor production value. <laughs> I, I think it is meant to be real American currency. It just doesn't look like it. It might just be bills from the 60s. Mm. It might be the wad of cash he had on him when he died. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know how often money changes, but I know that just in my lifetime, we've gone through like three different iterations of the 20. But yeah, so Paco does a smash and grab, grabs some jewels, empties the register. But it seemed to be that he showed up perfectly willing to buy something and was so proud of himself that he had money and was able to buy it and then got so furious at being dismissed on site that he acted irrationally and impulsively to do a smash and grab. This is a pattern we will see with Paco that when he doesn't, he's got issues when it comes to rich people and rich stuff. He's He's got a kind of inferiority, envy, complex thing going on. She also mentioned that Paco. <laughs> Paco is somewhat recognizable actor wise. His name is Jesse Borrego. 
I would say that you might know him from Fear the Walking Dead because he's apparently on that show. But as far as I know, no one has ever watched Fear the Walking Dead. I watched the first four episodes and I want to say I do remember his introduction. No, I'm I'm pretty sure that not a single person has ever watched Fear the Walking Dead. I mean, it's not bad, but it was just <laughs> kind of more of the same. I actually did really like the pilot for that show, though. I wouldn't know. But yeah, he's he's been in some stuff. He had a recurring role on Dexter for a while. He was on ER for a bit. He was on 24. And then, you know, a bunch of one episode appearances on a bunch of other things. But and he was on fame, the fame TV series from 1984 to 1987. Yeah. Isn't that like I'm going to learn to fly high? I'm going to live yeah. forever. Fame. Yeah, he was in 71 goddamn episodes of fame. That's interesting. So apparently that was his biggest or at least longest role. And then he did a handful of episodes of a couple of other things. And yeah, but he he might look vaguely familiar to you is what I'm saying. I just wanted to make that fear the walking dead joke, which apparently you didn't find funny. Hopefully listeners laughed when you didn't. When there was this echoing silence from you when I joked about how nobody watches fear the walking dead. Well, you reiterated what I'm pretty sure no one watches the Fear of the Walking Dead. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, I know it's meant to be a joke, but you're kind of not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've never had too many people I could talk about that show with, which is why I stopped watching it. That's fair. When nobody watches a show that you like, don't get other people to watch it. Just stop watching yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I, let's be honest, if that was really true, this show wouldn't exist at all. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> no, that's why I'm, why I'm encouraging people like, hey, you know, just stop watching everything so that it get canceled, gets canceled after one season. <laughs> and then we have more to do. Let's see how long before anything interesting happens. Um, so the car that Zeke has purchased from the devil at the devil's part-time job selling used cars <laughs> is a huge piece of crap and gives him constant problems. Fortunately, there is a business card hidden on the sun visor of the convertible for a particular garage that advertises, we can fix anything. And so Zeke says, okay, well, if they can fix anything, they can fix this piece of crap. Uh, and then we cut briefly to Paco driving a new convertible of his own, this one fancy and functional, to a very big, fancy house where a pretty blonde woman comes out and kisses all over Paco's face and is like, hey, where did you get this car? Did you steal it or whatever? And he's like, hey, I do have my own money, you know. So this is Paco's rich girlfriend who he is determined to prove, like I said, Paco has issues with the rich stuff. He is determined to prove that he is self-sufficient and he does not need her money, that he is just as good as her family and neighbors, despite them being rich and him being poor, blah, 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 blah. Rich girl, poor boy, romance bullshit, but with a, a healthy dollop of crippling insecurity. <laughs> So boring. <laughs> yeah. 
And we cut right from that back to Zeke. Now he's at the garage that the card was advertising and talking to the guy. And the guy's like, well, I apparently need to get new cards made because they say we can fix anything, but almost anything. This car is total garbage. How are you even driving it? But the ornament, though. (laughs) Yeah, they they do point out this. Is it it a bird or an angel or? I think it's an angel. It's meant to be like an angel. Probably. Yeah, that would that would make the most sense. There's like an angel hone ornament, you know, with its its wings like mid flap. So the wings are pointed kind of upward. This will be important later, which is why they're drawing attention to it now. The important thing is that the mechanic happens to say something to Zeke about his employee who's acting weird because he saw a guy who died 30 years ago this morning who he owes money to and the guy's freaking out now. So once again, the devil has done all the legwork. Apparently, the devil already knows all about Paco, where he is. The fact that Paco encountered this older guy who works at the garage. His name, by the way, is Ziggy. (laughs) So so the devil not only knows where Paco is, that Paco saw and threatened Ziggy, but where Ziggy works. And so in a roundabout, you know, follow the breadcrumbs thing. He sells Zeke a car that is garbage with a card in the car advertising a garage that can fix the garbage car. And that happens to be where Ziggy works so that Zeke can find Paco. Like, I I am increasingly annoyed and I don't think this has bothered me any other time that I've watched this show. But this time through, it's bothering me a lot that the devil is the one doing all of the work. Mm -hmm. Like he sends Zeke out to actually shoot these people in the face or whatever. But as far as finding them, the the devil's the one that finds them all. And, And then after finding them, instead of just telling Zeke where they are, he like drops these little hints or lays out these little trails of breadcrumbs so that we can have Zeke, who's supposedly a good detective, figure something out. But it's something that's super obvious and something that was laid out for him by a third party being the devil. When, like, I feel like it should either be if the devil's just going to point him in the right direction, have him just point him in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And if he's not, like, if Zeke is going to figure shit out, have Zeke figure shit out. But this kind of doing half measures to try to have it both ways. I I don't know. It's just super not working for me and I'm getting really frustrated by it. Yeah. It just, it's, it's less about, you know, it's just less about Zeke being here and doing what he's set out to do. Like the whole show is based off of that premise. Like it's not fun if the devil just keeps going like, Oh, Hey, here's, you know, a giant, neon sign saying look here like that's just not fun yeah you know and and supposedly the premise is the devil tapped zeke for this job because zeke is a good detective you know because zeke was a good cop hunting down bad guys and catching them right but if the i mean if the devil's finding them ahead of time and then just pointing zeke at them like zeke is the gun 
ed just like okay now i just have to point you in the right direction and pull your trigger like anybody could do that yeah not only does it not have to be zeke but like it doesn't have to be anybody smart or capable or it doesn't have to be a detective it doesn't have to be a cop it doesn't have to be anybody and if that's the case why don't you get the biggest strongest most badass guy you have because the deal he's offering zeke of like oh here here you get your second chance and i'm sure anybody in hell would take that deal so why not get the biggest strongest most badass if you're going to find the escapees yourself and then just point someone at them that would make way more sense yeah yeah no absolutely i mean i know like often they have alluded that the devil wouldn't use some of them like like when they had Hasterbol, it was just kind of like oh well these guys kind of like we're power hungry and stuff in life. And now that they have power and now I know they don't want to go back. So he's like, there's nothing I can really offer them other than they're running amok back on earth. And that's what they want to do. But Zeke's kind of like one of the few people who's kind of has something that he's trying to accomplish, I guess. And he, he knows the devil can help him with that. Yeah. The only, the only thing that kind of, the thing that kind of makes it somewhat okay is that, the devil knows that Zeke is fundamentally a good man and that he just like he, he yes, he crossed a line, but in general, he is not a bad person. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I think the devil takes so such great joy in fucking with him as much as he does. Mm. I mean, so there's that. Yeah, I definitely I definitely am on the board with you about the overall laziness of Zeke at this point like I feel like he can be there's so many things they could explore with his character and just make him vastly more multidimensional and and, and, you know and interesting rather than just having him be the face of whatever this sort of like weak arcing or I guess not arcing plot at this point you know but it's just like if if this is going to be your front man at least make us want to root for him or something not just kind of just be like yeah he's there and just kind of ultimately doing the legwork. Another thing that I thought was weird was when the devil is selling Zeke the car or when Zeke is complaining about needing a car and why he needs one. And you know, Zeke throws out the like, oh, this would make getting around town more efficient. I can get the work done faster. And the devil's like, oh, well, time is relative and I'm an immortal celestial being. So fuck you. He says something about how like, Oh, I once watched the hundred years war over a nice leisurely breakfast or something like that. (laughs) And the thing was, so, so here the devil's talking about how like, Oh, he doesn't give a shit about time. He, you know, he, he measures time in, in eons instead of hours. So like, what the fuck does he care? And yet in almost every other episode, he complains about how much time Zeke wastes on doing things that aren't the job and how he needs to get his ass back to work and do what he's supposed to do. And he's like giving Zeke shit about watching TV or eating or, you know, talking to other people. (laughs) Yeah. About like, Oh, you don't need to be doing this. You need to be doing what I sent you here to do. And so for eight episodes now, he's been complaining about, don't waste time, do the job, don't waste time, do the job. And now 
when Zeke is like, here's a way I can do the job faster. The devil's like, oh, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and like, that would be fine if like if that was the actual joke, because like hearing me describe it that way all at once in the way that I did. You chuckled. So like you could turn that whole thing into a joke for the audience of like, oh, this is just another instance of the devil fucking with him. Right. But that's not what they do. <laughs> I think it's just like, I, I feel like there was not enough of a guiding hand on this show to make things any kind of consistent over, you know, a, across multiple episodes being written by different people and directed by different people. Like, I don't feel like there was enough of a steady hand on the steering wheel going, this is what the show is. This is where the show was going. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there was too much of just like, yeah, here's, here's the premise. Just do a thing. Go, go ahead. We, we don't care what you do. Hmm. Anyway, Paco and his lady friend, Jocelyn. She's so annoying. <laughs> she looks super familiar too, played by Shannon Sturges. I, I looked her up on IMDb and like, I don't recognize anything she was in. Like I'm looking at her credits. I'm like, I don't think I've seen any of these things except she was in like one episode of the mentalist. I watched a bunch of that. I don't know if I saw the episode she was in, but like, like looking through, I mean, she was on a couple of soap operas. I, I don't recognize any of her credits. I didn't watch anything she was in, but she looks super familiar, super familiar. Mm -hmm. Whatever. She and Paco are like parked on like a lover's lane lookout point kind of place, like a cliff overlooking the city or some shit. And they're just sitting in a parked car doing what you do in a parked car with a date. They're smooching and stuff. And again, here we get another reinforcement of the idea that Paco is obsessed with wealth and the fact that he doesn't have it and his girlfriend does. You know, he's talking about how she's used to all of these nice things and he has to be able to give those nice things to her when, you know, he he takes her away from the home and family that she is accustomed to. He needs to be able to keep her in that lifestyle. Just so weird. So by this point, we're roughly almost 15 minutes or so into the episode. Yeah, about. And they just still, it's so hard to understand these characters' relationship. Like. How do you mean? Like, it, it's just the entire episode, they keep teasing us with this intense connection and relationship that he has. Like, here we have, like, this young Spanish criminal and then his, like, blonde, rich girlfriend who's just trying to abscond with her entire fortune so they could run away together. But it still hasn't given any, I don't even want to say like origins. Cause that's not exactly what I'm looking for, but it just, we're in the throes of their passion and we don't even really know how they got here. And it feels weird. Yeah. We, all we know is that they are super in love it's extremely passionate, but 
you're absolutely right. And I see what you're saying is there's no sense of them being connected. Mm -hmm. Like you see passion, but not emotion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely get the sense that like they want each other, Mm -hmm. but not that they actually love or even like each other. Right. Or what it is about each other that they're so drawn to. (laughs) Like they don't even have any moments where the dialogue is bolstering this relationship. Yeah, there's nothing about any of their dialogue that's like tender or or heartfelt in any way. Basically, all we get is Paco saying, you're rich and you're used to being rich. And even though I grew up poor, when you run away with me, you're still going to live like you're rich because I'm going to provide for you. And even though I didn't grow up rich, I can still provide for you as well as any rich guy could. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's basically his refrain over and over. She basically keeps repeating, I don't care. (laughs) That does not matter to me. Yeah. I love you. I love you. I love you. Even though we don't get any sense of why or how. Right. Meanwhile, Zeke visits Paco's mother, who is a fortune teller. And that scene is boring and pointless. Yeah, the the mother, I, it's so forced, that whole interaction with the mother. Like, it was just, I don't know. Uh, it was so much like, I mean, there was another episode where Zeke dropped in on a guy's mother. It was the episode with Zeke's wife's rapist, Gilbert Jacks. Oh, yeah. And Zeke drops in on the mother. But at least in that one, Gilbert had actually gone to his mother's house after coming back from the dead and his mother knew about it and he was like living there. But in this, Zeke just goes to visit Paco's mother, who has no idea that Paco is back from the dead and basically just casually like, oh, I'm here to have my palm read or whatever, because you're a fortune teller for some reason. She says, "Okay," and he just notices a picture on her mantle and and is like, who's that guy in that picture? Is that your son? And then she's like, yes, that's my Paco, blah, blah, blah. Some exposition that does not matter. Yeah, yeah. Almost nothing in this scene is of value. Again, they reinforce the, the thing of he's Catholic, we're Catholic. Even though she's apparently a fortune teller, I thought that was kind of a. I, th- I thought that was a no-no in Christianity in general and and Catholicism specifically, but whatever. There's a million different branches and denominations. I'm sure some of them are okay with it. Yeah, they they harp a lot on the fact that he's Catholic and that he's wearing a cross around his neck and some stuff about his car that doesn't come into play at all. I I just I don't know. I don't know why that scene was even there. Yeah, it's. I think she might say something about the specifics of how Paco died, but like there are other ways Zeke could learn that. Yes. I I think she says something about like he used to take his car up to the point or whatever, which is where Paco and, and his, his lady are right now. It's just the only, I, I guess I just got tired that the entire length of this scene was just to, basically go hey hallmark of paco is that he wears this cross yeah because that's pretty much all we get of value that's it she doesn't even read his palm no she does and she comments she says something about his lifeline about it being 
or not being one. Oh, that's right. No, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Even that doesn't come to anything. I guess that's just to be like palmistry is real or Paco's mom is really psychic. And so she can tell that Zeke is technically a dead guy, I guess. Maybe. Like, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like whether or not that is the case has absolutely no bearing on the rest of the episode. So. Who cares? Yeah, it's it's not like uh, Father Horn, like offering some kind of, I don't know, something, you know, like we don't need another character being in on the fact that Zeke's a dead man. Yeah, it's pointless. Back on makeout point or whatever, Jocelyn and Paco are making out and apparently they are running some kind of scam together. Oh, Paco, if you're just patient, we're going to run away together and have all the money we'll ever need. And he's like, I'm not patient. I want to get married like right now. And Jocelyn's just like, chill, buddy. <laughs> and then a cop comes up with this little flashlight to shine in their faces and be like, hey, what's going on here? And they're like, uh, we're fine. We're just making out, officer. Go away. And he's acting like a dick to Paco. Maybe he's classist. Maybe he's racist. Maybe he's just a cop. But he's being a douche. No offense to cops or douches. The ones I know personally are fine, but I have encountered some ones that I don't know personally that are douches. <laughs> but anyway, Paco, of course, gets over the top indignation over this. As he is wont to do, as we have seen with jewelry store guy, he takes it all real hard. Meanwhile, Jocelyn's just like, oh, I'm Jocelyn Page and my great aunt is Ruth Page. And the cops like, oh, the Ruth Page. Yes, the Ruth Page. So leave us the fuck alone because I am from a prominent family that has weight to throw around. So the cop agrees to leave her alone, but still wants to hassle Paco. The reason the cop is interested at all is because the license plate of the car they are in indicates that the car was reported stolen. Newsflash, because Paco stole it, which he did lie to Jocelyn about. So you'd think that she would be remotely unhappy about that or that that would come up at all or that that would be at all a significant detail to know. Nope. You know how this show works. Yeah. So she gets back in the car. Paco goes off with the cop and then comes back a moment later. And she's like, oh, is everything OK? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I took care of it. So while she's like, OK, he talked to the cop and everything's OK now. The audience is very much like, OK, so he killed the cop <laughs> and someone's going to find a body in a minute. Guess which one of us is right? <laughs> Zeke arrives literally as they are leaving. Like, it's the same shot in which their car pulls away and his car pulls up. So he finds the dead cop all scorched and burned. And that's that's about all. So the next day, Jocelyn is at a country club schmoozing with some guy named Brad. Brad is apparently a lawyer and Jocelyn is trying to weasel her way into having power of attorney for her great aunt Ruth, who is allegedly away on safari in Africa. 
so she's talking to Brad about like, oh, did you get that paperwork done? I need that power of attorney. And he says, well, you know, I looked into it and we need Aunt Ruth's signature. Sorry. And she's like, flirt, 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 flirt. How about now? Well, I'll see what I can do. And she's like, flirt, 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 flirt. And he says, "Okay, I'll come by with the papers tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Zeke, meanwhile, is having lunch with Max. He makes some comment about not having seen Teresita in a bit. She says she was on vacation. Zeke orders some terrible junk food and Max gives him a hard time about it. Why don't you just order a heart attack with your chicken fried steak and fries or whatever? But Zeke is treating Max to lunch because Max has been helping him research Paco. And here's a thing that. Like this scene makes the scene with the mother. Obsolete. And it's like. I don't know why the scene with the mother exists, and this scene should have been before the previous scene at Lookout Point. Because what happens is Zeke and Max sit down. Max says, is this your way of thanking me for being your unofficial research assistant on whatever this project is? And Zeke says, yes, that's exactly what's going on. And she says, "Okay, well, I found this many Paco Gomez's who were alive in 1960, whatever. Of that number, only this many had criminal records. And of that many, only this many died. And here are the newspaper articles. Mm -hmm. And then he finds, okay, Paco Gomez, 20 something, 1960, whatever, died when he drove his convertible off of Lookout Point. So if that's when he's learning this information, if he already went to see Paco's mother, he would already know which Paco Gomez it was. And how he died because he had a conversation with the mother about it. So what is the point of this scene? Mm. I think it's edited out of order. I I feel like it is like because they have him talking to Ziggy and Ziggy pointing him in the direction of Paco's mother and Paco's mother telling him this information. And then they have a separate scene where he has enlisted Max's help to do research and digs up basically the same information. Mm. And so one of those two things is pointless. Yeah, it would have made more sense if he had his lunch date with Max and then went to the mother feigning. I want my palm read to just see if he she could get she. she Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Like it it makes more sense to have the Max scene come earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Paco shows up at Jocelyn's big mansion where she's staying with her great aunt Ruth. He's got a fancy little gold bag, presumably from some shop on Rodeo. (laughs) And it contains, I guess, a pair of blue panties. So the, the two of them start disrobing and making out. But coitus interruptus, (laughs) the doorbell rings. Oh, shit, that's Brad. He's here early with those papers I need to get Aunt Ruth's power of attorney. Ugh, Brad. Because Jocelyn has been manipulating Brad with flirt, 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 flirt. She continues to do so while Paco hides in the background. 
and Paco gets real fucking jealous. Because again, he's got issues with the Richie Riches. So when Brad is next at the club and he's getting ready to leave, he goes to the valet stand and the car that comes up is not his car. And he's like, what's going on? And it's Paco in some red sports car. And he's like, hey, senor, I'm so sorry. Your car will not start. So Brad says, uh, I just got a tune up. What the fuck? Can you take me to it? Oh, see, get in the car. So Brad gets in the car with Paco, the last mistake he will ever make, because Paco then proceeds to ram that car at full speed into like a concrete barricade. Yay. Smashing Brad through the windshield. And Paco is like, oh, you forgot to fasten your safety belt. Rich boy, because he's got to point that out. It's, It's this constant reinforced thing that Paco has this insecurity about wealth. Yeah, even his quick to jealousy about Brad being at the door, like he already knows the scenario, you know, and then also given the evidence that we have much later li- revealed in the episode, it's it makes no sense for him to be as angry. Yeah, it's a very irrational reaction that he has all the time to wealth, wealthy people, the feeling of being dismissed, like he's very aware of the class divide between him and Jocelyn, and it gets at him. And I understand what they're doing, like as far as the writing, as far as the characterization. And it's a good way to go. Like it's a thing that makes sense for the character. It's a good bit of depth for this character. So he's not quite so one note and empty. But boy, do they harp on it a lot for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a piece of characterization that I'm glad is there, but I feel like they go a little bit over the top with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so no more Brad. Yep. So Zeke is sitting in his apartment or hotel room or whatever it is. He's apparently reading like celebrity gossip magazines or something. And the devil shows up and starts giving him shit. And Zeke says, man, I'm just I'm catching up on some of the stuff that I missed while I was gone. I'm sick of going through people's desks and filing cabinets and peeping through their windows and doing this and that. And I just I need a break. I need a few days off. I need a fucking vacation. And the devil's like, oh, Okay, well, yeah, that that doesn't seem like too much to ask. Where can we put you for a few days? Oh, I can put you in a prison with some of the now deceased criminals that you put away over the years. I can put you in a virtual reality simulation of the rape of your wife repeated over and over again. I can schedule a session with that abusive father of yours when you were a child. What sounds good to you? Which, uh, kind of dark. I'm sorry, but this like makes Zeke to seem out to be so much more interesting than this episode would ever let on. <laughs> <laughs> like, right? That's so much like he's got this turmoil in his past that like I kind of wish that they would reference about some things on occasion, you know? Yeah, but. 
here again, like the devil who earlier this episode was like, oh, who cares about time? Time doesn't matter. Time is relative. Entire lifetimes of humans are a fucking blink of an eye to me. And then Zeke is like, I need a couple of days. And the devil's like, oh, if you want to take a couple of days, it's going to be of me fucking torturing you. Get the fuck back to work, asshole. (laughs) I mean, right? (laughs) So true, though. But yeah, like the devil whips out a fucking like Blackberry and is like looking on it for like, oh, what can we do to you? And is very casually like throwing off these ideas. Oh, let's let's lock you up with people who want revenge on you. Let's make you witness the most horrible thing that ever happened to or adjacent to your life. Oh, let's go back to your childhood trauma. It just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So Zeke is like, all right, fine. I'll go. And so he just he just gets up and walks out and tells the devil, like, like, yeah, lock up when you're done. Then we have Zeke arriving at the crime scene of Brad's death with, like, the cops investigating and all the police tape around. And how did he know about this? Why is he there? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't give any segue to that. Because, like, I mean, the devil certainly didn't tell him, at least not that I remember. And he doesn't have a contact on the police force anymore because Ash turned out to be an evil demon. So how did he know about Brad and how does he know that Brad's connected to the whole thing? Like, is is there something in there that I missed? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think because there wasn't anyone connecting Brad. He finds out Brad is dead after he shows up at this scene. And then goes back and talks to, um, what is her name? Jocelyn. Yeah, like, unless, give me a second. I'm going to let the scene with the devil play to see if the devil actually says anything to lead him there. Okay, yeah, so I played back the scene with the devil who says nothing about Brad. Like, there doesn't seem to be any reason that Zeke shows up at this crime scene. Hmm. Like, no reason he should be connecting the death of lawyer Brad Armstrong with chasing down Paco. Yeah, there's like no. But anyway, Zeke shows up at the crime scene for some fucking reason and runs into Fraker, who uh, immediately starts giving Zeke shit about his crappy car. (laughs) But then Fraker's like, well. Zeke says, well, what? And Fraker says, aren't you going to ask me if I know where Ash is? And Zeke's like, oh, oh, yeah. Um, Do you know where Ash is? And Fraker says, fuck, no, I don't. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) So they chat briefly about the crime scene. Here's a guy in the passenger seat who's gone through the window or, you know, through the windshield. And Zeke's like, hey, where's the driver? And Fraker's like, that's a good fucking question because he should be dead. And Frager's like, okay, I got to go do a thing. And when I come back, fucking be gone because you're not supposed to be here in the first place. Why am I even talking to you? So while Fraker has his back turned, Zeke rifles through Brad's pockets and finds a receipt from the florist from the flowers that he bought Jocelyn. And that leads Zeke to Jocelyn, whatever her name is, Jocelyn Page. (laughs) I also like that Fraker makes that line about (laughs) getting his car fixed for emissions. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's like, like, get that thing checked for 
smog emissions or whatever the fuck. <laughs> it's like the only like genuinely funny line this entire episode. Immediately when Fraker turns his attention back in Zeke's direction and Zeke is still there, Fraker's like, I thought I told I thought I told you to beat it. <laughs> it's like, get out of here. You you are not a real cop. And even if you were a real cop, you are not an LA cop. So get the hell out of my crime scene. I'm not Ash. I'm not putting up with your shit. So Zeke goes to talk to Jocelyn. And here's where all of that setting up of Paco's cross pays off. Because that's what Zeke notices around Jocelyn's neck. And so even though she's denying even knowing of Paco Gomez, Zeke knows she's full of shit because she's wearing his cross. Yeah, 32 minutes in, the cross shows up. <laughs> yeah, and that's it, by the way. Like all that setup of the cross, all that talking about the cross that happened in like at least a couple of different scenes and the constant reinforcement that Paco's fucking Catholic and he wears a cross around his neck. This is what that specific cross looks like. This is the big payoff that Zeke notices it around the girl's neck. And so when she's like, no, I don't know him. Zeke knows she's lying. But so Zeke turns around and starts leaving and it's like, OK, well, I'll go now. But just so you know, Paco's probably the one who killed Brad. And she's like, wait a second. Brad's dead. Wait, wait. Since when is Brad dead? How is wait? Brad's dead. What? <laughs> Just then Paco starts pulling in the driveway and she yells at him. Oh, Paco, run, get out of here, go. And so he takes off and Zeke takes off after him. Paco in his fancy new convertible and Zeke in his crappy old falling apart convertible. Up to this point, Jocelyn seems to be not necessarily innocent, but, you know, yep, she's got a rich and well-connected great aunt who she and Paco are scheming to get money out of by tricking Brad into giving her power of attorney so they can steal the old lady's fortune and run off together. But she didn't witness Paco killing the cop. When Paco stole the jewelry, he told her that he bought it when he stole the car he told her that he bought it and she didn't know it was stolen. You know, she didn't see him kill the cop. She didn't see him kill Brad, didn't know that he killed Brad. So she, in theory, at least, could be being used or at the very least, she's not complicit in some of the more violent aspects of the criminality going on. But we'll get to all this. Zeke runs Paco down in his crappy car. They fight and Zeke ends up pulling the winged angel hood ornament off of his car and stabbing Paco in the face with it. <laughs> of course, the the points of the wings going directly into Paco's eyes. And as we know, the eyes windows to the soul destroy the eyes and the damned get a one way ticket back to hell. Sorry, that is a direct quote from the opening intro sequence. So Paco vaporizes, goes, you know, bad 90s CGI light show. Ah, grabbing his face with his hands, light streaming out of his eyes, sockets. And Paco vanishes. And then the tattoo of Paco's name in Enochian or whatever the fuck angelic script is vanishes from Zeke's arm. And then we see Jocelyn bolt upright from her 
her repose in bed. Like she, she just bolts upright, breathes heavily and is like, oh, Paco. And then her eyes glow red. Yup. She's one of them too. Dun, dun, dun. Aren't you surprised? Cause the kind of implication, you know, from the rest of the episode is that Baco died in the sixties and came back from the dead and just found himself a new girlfriend and fell in love. And they were scheming together to steal money from her great aunt Ruth and stuff. And it's like, nope, she was also his girlfriend in the sixties. They did some bad stuff together then, and they both came back together and continued to do bad stuff. She is, in fact, related to Ruth Page, but I don't think Ruth is her great aunt. I think it's some other familial relation, and that's just the role that she's playing. But yeah, it's gosh, it's just so less gratifying when they really didn't talk about it the entire time. Yeah, like I I get that it's supposed to be a a reveal like, ooh, guess what? There's two of them this episode. This woman who you thought might have been a victim or a patsy or whatever is actually involved. But of course, like Paco dies with a full 10 minutes left in the episode. So you you figure something else is going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, true enough. It's just what we were talking about, like the lackluster foundation for their passion. Like I didn't want it to be because like, oh, plot twist. She's one, too. You know, like. I don't know. Yeah. So Jocelyn shows up at Zeke's hotel because I guess he left her the address or something when he questioned her before. So she comes to talk to him. I don't even remember what she says because the rest of the episode is. Dumb. Is that the right word? I mean, yeah, for lack of a better. Yeah, it's 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 dumb. It's dumb. It's the rest of the episode. It's, it's really just a way to squeeze out the last like eight and a half minutes of this episode. It's it's a big steaming pile of who gives a shit. No one cares about these characters. I, I forget exactly how it comes out. She goes to Zeke and it's like, oh, I, I can't find Paco. And I can't, I can't remember if he tells her that Paco's dead at that point. But, you know, she's like, I don't want to be alone. Can you take me home? It's like, well, how did you even get there? So they go back to the mansion and they have this heart to heart and there's like a little bit of sexual tension or whatever. Like maybe they're going to start making out or fuck. Zeke tells her that Paco's in fact dead or something, but she's like, oh, I guess John Lennon was wrong. Love isn't all you need. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> and she's like, OK. And then she's like, Paco and I were going to go see them live on their next tour and that's when zeke's like the beatles (laughs) who broke up and who like like most of our dead or like half of our dead (laughs) i don't know is 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 paul still alive i can't remember i don't the paul didn't die right no he didn't yeah just george and john died right anyway and at this point, I think only John had died. I think George is still alive at this point. Yeah, no, Paul's still good. Okay, good. It's a very awkward dialogue. Like, I don't feel like this is the way a person would actually talk. There's there's something about it that just feels so forced in the way that she... Like, they had to word it 
in such a way that she's talking about the Beatles in like a kind of present tense sort of way where it's clear that she either doesn't know that the Beatles have broken up and that John is dead or that she is, I don't know. She's, she's speaking from a place where the Beatles are still a thing. Mm -hmm. And this is what tips Zeke off that she is, is from the past that she is, not a normal living person in the late 90s that she was someone who died in the mid 60s but it's there's something that feels very unnatural about it yeah and like and also like she seems shocked the first time she exhibits her power not only does she seem shocked the first time she uses her power but her power is shocking I mean, I I guess he okay. Paco did Bernie Bernie with his hands. She does Sparky Sparky with her fingers. Like she's holding out like two fingers, trying to poke Zeke's eyes out. Okay, so she makes her Beatles reference, which makes Zeke realize that she's also escaped from hell and that he needs to shoot her in the face. So they scuffle a little bit. She runs out of the room. He empties his fucking clip. And since, you know, he's got magical hell bullets, sort of like he wakes up every morning with thirty six dollars and twenty seven cents in his pocket, his gun and the exact amount of bullets that he had in his gun when he died. So he can't reload because he's got nothing to reload with, but he'll get those bullets back the next time he goes to sleep. Anyway, so he's got no gun now and she attacks him like hand to hand and she's got seemingly electrical sparky sparky based powers like the executioner dude from the previous episode or not the previous episode, but the one before last. Mm. Like she's got sparky sparky electrical powers and Paco had Bernie Bernie fire powers and there's no explanation for either of those? No, not at all. And did you also catch that first time Paco uses his power against the graffiti artist, like there's lightning discharge storm. They have sex on lookout point. There's lightning discharge storm, but his powers aren't electrical. They're hers. I did not notice that, but you're right. There was like a thunderstorm in the background in both of those scenes. Yeah, but it was just weirder for Paco because it seemed like he was like boiling people's chests and their hearts. Yeah. And then, but then she's the one with the sparky sparky power, but she wasn't present when Paco first used his power yet. There was like a lightning storm or whatever. So it's really curious. It it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, so during this exchange, while they're kind of fighting and also talking, Jocelyn reveals that she and Paco were in love in the 60s and her parents didn't approve because of class slash race and insisted that they stop seeing each other and she and Paco conspired to murder her parents and take their money or whatever so here's here's the thing like I get I get all this The thing is, she had been telling Paco repeatedly that she didn't care about the class issue and the money. 
And he's like, no, I have to keep you in the lifestyle to which you are accustomed. So I have to have money to support you and keep you comfortable and buy you nice things and blah, blah, blah. And even though she said repeatedly that that didn't matter and she just loved him back in the 60s, they conspired to kill her parents so they could get their money. And here in the present or what was the present at the time here in 1999, they are trying to get essentially that same money from one of her other relatives by I presume they killed her that she's not really off on safari in Africa. I, I assume that's a cover story. And then they're trying to trick Brad into getting power of attorney officially signed over to her. Right, right. So even though she says that she just loves Paco and doesn't care about the money and the lifestyle, she clearly does. And maybe I've missed it, but they don't even say how long they've been back on Earth, have they? Like we have we have zero idea of how long the the escape happened six weeks before the first episode. Okay, is when all 113 escaped. So if each episode is roughly a week, which may or may not be the case, some may be. You know, it may be longer between some episodes. It may be shorter between some episodes. But if we say if we say they're they're a week apart on average, we're looking at about 15 weeks total mm. that they've been back on Earth. So that's what like because I guess like I'm just trying to. Because they didn't go into her aunt who has all the money. Like, how would the aunt know that she was staying there? How has she been enrolled in this, like, yacht club that she's doing tennis and lunch at? Like, my assumption is that since this girl is, in fact, Jocelyn Page, who, you know, died in the 60s or whatever, and Ruth Page, I assume, is some kind of relative. She says it's her great aunt, but that's probably not the case. That's probably like... a cousin or even like a niece or something, but she's somehow related to this woman. And so she probably showed up, killed Ruth, whoever Ruth is, and then told everyone, oh, I'm Ruth's grandniece. She's my great aunt Ruth, and I'm staying in her house while she's off on safari. I just spoke to her yesterday. She's traveling the Serengeti and having just the most wonderful time. So she's she's living in the house and faking being the the house sitting grandniece while the woman's probably decomposing in the attic. I don't know if it's ever specifically said, but that was just kind of the impression that I got. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting to me because just like sometimes I'm like, there's so many holes in these like characters and why should why are we why we even care or like. Do you even care if Zeke really tracks them down? Which, I mean, technically he's not because he's a lazy fuck. But um, it's like, yeah, Zeke is the one that we're supposed to care about. Like, we're only supposed to care about his success or failure, you know, because allegedly we care about him successfully getting his second chance at life. Mm -hmm. But the people that he's hunting, these other escaped souls, we don't know anything about any of them until the episode that they show up. And by the end of that episode, they're gone. 
with the exception of Ash. Right. All of the other ones die the same episode they're introduced. They have no development. We get whatever little information we get in the episode that they're in. They're one off, fully disposable. Fuck, they're Greg's. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. (laughs) If you don't get that joke, go back and listen to our first episode. (laughs) Or. Or listen to pretty much any episode of uh, Xeno Warrior Business or Sailor Business. Oh, God. Hi, Allison. I yeah. hope you're still listening. Right <laughs> for you. But right yeah, they're, they're, they're one off disposable villains that we've never heard of before and we will never hear from again. And so you would think that because of that, they would either try to put a little more effort into making us interested or give a shit or just go back in the other way and just make them faceless who gives a shit people and do more ongoing overarching serialized stuff with the characters that do recur, but they don't do either. Anyway, Jocelyn fights with Zeke And they're also talking while they're fighting. And, you know, she reveals that like, oh, yeah, I killed my parents because they didn't want me seeing Paco and fuck them. They were mean. They were duty heads. They were big meanies and I didn't like them. They deserved it. Folks, that is actual dialogue from the end. (laughs) But then she gets like so distraught over the fact that Paco is gone, that he's been sent back to hell. So she gets all boohooey. And meanwhile, through this whole scene, for some reason, a song is playing in the background and it's uh, uh, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Yeah. And of course, I cannot hear that song without immediately thinking of Heather's. <laughs> but anyway, so that song is playing and she's getting super weepy. You know, she's like, oh, we were going to do this and this and we were going to have all of this together. And now you've ruined everything because now the only place I can see him, the only place I can be with him is there. And there is a terrible place. And Zeke's just like, yeah, I I know. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yep, go, go figure. Hell is bad. Hell mm-hmm. is unpleasant. Mm-hmm. No shit. But I know I've been there. And eventually she stops trying to stab Zeke's eyes out with her sparky, sparky fingers. And instead, she. Uh, <laughs> uh, she stabs herself in the face with her sparky, sparky fingers. So weird. And again, here's where like we see the passion. Like we we definitely get that. She and Paco are just super passionate about their love, but we don't really get like why, like what do they see in each other? Like what do they, what do they share? Like I don't, but she decides she can't live without him and she gouges her own eyes out with her sparky, sparky fingers, thus returning to hell. (laughs) Zeke drives back to his hotel 
parks the car out front, gets the the rollerblades out of the trunk, curses the car a little bit, kicks it, starts taking off his shoes to put on his rollerblades. And the devil shows up to talk to him and he's like, oh, good work. Except at the end there, Jocelyn really kind of did all the work, didn't she? And Zeke's just like, yeah, OK, fuck you. So the devil does his thing. Taunt, 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 taunt. And Zeke's like, oh, well, you didn't tell me that it was the both of them, blah, blah, blah. And the devil's like, oh, well, you know, I, I had confidence that you would figure it out eventually. You're a smart boy. Blah, blah, blah. And then the rollerblades secured to his feet. Zeke gets up, turns around. Faces the devil. And draws his gun. And the devil's like, what do you think you're doing? And then Zeke adjusts his aim slightly and shoots not the devil, John Glover, but instead shoots one of the headlights out of his shitty car. And wouldn't you know it, a bad CGI light show starts streaming out of that busted headlight. And then Zeke shoots the other headlight. And the bad CGI light show continues until the car vanishes because, yes, the car was one of the 113 escaped souls damned to hell. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's the stupidest. <laughs> like, we, we, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. We didn't get one or two, but three lost souls in this episode, and it was still boring as shit. So, so apparently, not only do A, cars have souls, but B, they can be evil, and C, they have enough consciousness or whatever to actually escape from hell and come back to Earth. And apparently that's why the car was so shitty. <laughs> well, there are several times in the episode where he talks to it when it's breaking down, <laughs> and it's almost like it's a retorting by either choosing to start or not. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. Like there's a lot of stuff that this time around I am realizing that is very terrible about the show. I remember, okay, don't don't write letters, don't at me. I remember back during the Black Sash days when I'm like, hey, I rewatched Brimstone recently. It's great. We're all going to love it. I remember yeah. I remember saying that. I admit now that I was wrong. I was not watching it with a very critical eye. I'm realizing that now if I'm just passively shut my brain off and watch something, I can enjoy just about anything. There are things that I like about this show, but I was I had blinders on. I was not paying attention to the things that are problematic and terrible about it. But this is one of the things that annoys me the most is the fucking car. Yeah, it's just like when when it has a good episode, you're like, OK, like this is this is redeeming. But when it has a bad episode, like it's what were you on when you wrote this, when you looked across the table at someone in the eye and said, the car is an escaped soul? What was that reaction like? I've like what I have noticed about myself when I go back and not only look at media that I used to like, you know, go, going back and looking at it with a more critical eye, 
but also the kind of metacognition of thinking about what I think about the thing that I'm watching, you know, kind of just diving down that rabbit hole. I, I realized that what I tend to do and what I tended to do, especially uh, like as a teenager in the nineties and like in my, in my twenties in the early two thousands, like I tend to develop a kind of head cannon about various things that I watch. And I remember more of that than I do the actual thing. And in that kind of headcanon, I tend to overdevelop the more dramatic things and downplay the cheesier or campier things. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember Power Rangers being way better than it was. Oh, yeah. And I would do that with like Power Rangers, with Sailor Moon, with whatever cartoons or or action adventure shows that I watched. Like I tend to completely forget about the cheesier, campier, sillier aspects or like the just plain bad parts. And the parts that I remember being very emotional or dramatic or really affecting going back and watching the actual thing. I'm like, no, it wasn't nearly that at all. That was so much more in my head than it was on the screen. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that this show definitely benefited from <laughs> for, for my perspective is <laughs> I made it better in my head than it actually was because I think as I watched through it, even the first time when I was a kid and, you know, only having seen it once, I think in real time, I was kind of thinking about, I was thinking more about the potential of the premise than I was the execution of the show, because I think the premise is good. And there are a lot of things you could do. There are a lot of places you could go from that premise. And I kind of blinded myself to the fact that the execution was poor because I was so into the core idea. Okay. And, and so I, I kind of, I inflated the positive aspects and kind of dimmed down the the negative aspects and had a, a kind of rose-colored recollection of the show in my memory. Yeah, I I think that that's I just think that's a normal thing. It's just you know, if I went back in <laughs> and this this will come up eventually, but someday we'll get to Mantis and I <laughs> I will relive these feelings tenfold, <laughs> I guarantee. Because so, I was that kid, like, clutched with the blanket in front of the television, thinking about how enthralling and amazing these shows are, and why is no one watching this? <laughs> so so Mantis is your brimstone? It, it, it probably is my brimstone, if I had to. I remember watching Mantis. I I remember being into it because it was basically a superhero show Mm -hmm. and just anything that was even remotely superhero related at that time, I was down for it no matter what it was, no matter how bad it was. But I don't remember a lot of specifics other than it was a paralyzed scientist who made like an exosuit, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it was just, it was like a byproduct of him attempting to walk. He like jumps into this, 
highly advanced exosuit that also makes him superhuman. <laughs> so it's like by day in wheelchair, by night jumping across buildings and throttling criminals. <laughs> sounds great. Like sounds like every radio show anyone would ever love. Yeah, it was. There was something very old school about it. But sadly, I just I know it. I know it's not going to hold up at the with the track record we're accumulating <laughs> at this point. It's not going to hold up and I'm preparing myself for it mentally. Yeah. Well, Mitch, this was like 1994. And oh, my God, that was a Sam Raimi thing. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that should that that will definitely be interesting. But anyway, we we digress. Um, Boy, do we. it's the most entertaining part (laughs) so glad this episode's over (laughs) yeah um yeah so so zeke shooting the quote-unquote eyes the the headlights out of his cursed car that's uh that's the end that's that's where we leave it so cool well there's that. Yeah, I really don't have a lot to say. I, I was really off put by this episode and I think I was like making pasta at the time and it was just completely uninterested in anything that happened. Yeah, it's we have certainly seen far worse episodes of this show and of Black Sash. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely seen worse things. But it's also not at all good. And the problem is, especially coming off our previous episode, which is, you know, one of the better ones. I feel like this one's just very forgettable. It's very boring. We we finally got something that's like here we have an arc. There's an overarching plot. There's some sense of serialization. And then to go from that to a very self-contained throwaway could go anywhere in the series episode is it's a letdown. It's just disheartening. Mm -hmm. It makes a mediocre episode worse by its placement. Yes. It's like how in the first season of Rick and Morty, people were pissed about the finale of the first season because the episode before the finale is the one where they introduce the council of Ricks and you find out that there's the evil Morty. Yes. Yes. And then the next episode, which is the finale is they have a house party while the parents are away. (laughs) And meanwhile, the parents are on a Titanic themed vacation. And so even though that's not a bad episode, it feels like such a letdown because the episode before it was a big deal. And then the next one is like, yeah, whatever. And and I got that same feeling from this. Like the last episode was a big deal. Like, oh, one of our few recurring characters, by far Zeke's biggest ally in this whole thing, turns out to be one of them. <laughs> And not only that, but she gets away. And then the next episode is this fucking nonsense. 
So even, even though I think there are definitely worse episodes of the series, this just felt like such a bummer. Yes, I definitely would agree. It's very like, oh, <laughs> but any other final thoughts, Stan, anything else you got to say about this? No, I'm done. We've been at it for two hours. I'm tired. <laughs> that is absolutely more than fair. <laughs> that's the only like it, it makes it. That's truly how it makes me feel. It's not bad. I just don't necessarily have the fire to roast this episode. <laughs> Because it didn't even try for its own sake. Yeah, I, I almost feel like it would be better if it were worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, at least it would be more entertaining. Like, we'd have more to make fun of. Like, this episode of our podcast would definitely be better if this episode of television were worse. But I, I also feel like just the the entertainment value in watching it in a vacuum would be yeah improved if this episode were objectively worse than it is Mm. and that's just it's it's just dull i just who gives a shit (laughs) i'm sorry everyone especially if you if you went to the trouble of actually tracking this show down to actually watch it i'm sorry and if you just listen to us recap it i'm still sorry and like, I... Well, we didn't write it, so <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's not entirely our fault. It's not our fault. It exists. Just our fault that it was brought to your attention. Yes. So yes, you can curse us for being a <laughs> vehicle by which this is being served to you. <laughs> so, Stan, where can our beloved listeners find you on the internets? You can always find me at Bedside Martini, all one word, on Twitter.com. Fantastic. And I can be found on internet at Eurogurg on Twitter.com. And if you would like to contact the show itself, which is, you know, also just us, but if you want to contact us as as the entity single season showcase, you contact Sing C Show on Twitter. That's an abbreviation of single season showcase. And you spell all of those words out in their entirety to find us at Gmail. And I I keep forgetting to say this every episode, but I keep meaning to. If you, for some reason, actually like our show, like if you enjoy listening to this ridiculous thing, please, please Write us a review, give us a rating on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Give us a rating, give us a review, preferably a high rating and a good review, but I'm I'm not the regional branch manager of you. It's not up to me. Do whatever you want, but I would consider it a personal favor. And you know, to like like tell somebody else. Like, hey, I I listen to this podcast. You should listen to it. These guys are cool, funny, (laughs) stupid, like whatever. Like, 
tell people whatever you need to tell them to get them to listen to us, help us reach a wider audience and feel better about ourselves. Because I am pretty sure that this podcast has existed for almost a year. We've got just over a dozen episodes, which shows how good I am at editing. <laughs> and I think has exactly one review on iTunes. <laughs> Whoring for reviews, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you my RSS feed if you show me yours. Please, let's not let that stay the only one. There's like a 99% chance that you are listening to this on your phone, because I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that still uses an actual iPod. <laughs> so you're probably listening to this on your phone. Your phone is almost certainly connected to the internet. You could literally, without even pausing, you could right now just pick up your phone unless you are driving, in which case wait until you park and then do this, but just pick up your phone, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, go to the rating and and reviewing section of whatever app you're using to listen to this. Even if your rating is half a star and your review is what the fuck is wrong with these people, just just do it. Yeah. What Greg's trying to say is engage with us. Like, tell us what you think. Yes. Uh, we're always willing to listen. Like, let's chat about some shows. Let's really kind of talk about the medium in general. As you can see, we're both like super nerds and we love to talk. So we would love to hear from anybody out there that's listening. And, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. So feel free to reach out and give us some feedback. Yes, exactly. So join us next time. And notice I'm I'm drifting away from saying next week and into saying next time, because again, that's how good an editor I am. <laughs> oh my God, I've been working on the most recent episode for like six weeks. I don't know. It's been a long time. I think I think the episode I'm trying to edit right now references my birthday, which was three months ago. And so I'm like oh i'm so bad at it and i hate it so much and i i wish i could afford to pay someone else to do it for me yes join us next time for episode 10 carrier but until then he is stan spencer and he's greg musselman and i'm terribly sorry but we've been canceled <laughs>